Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. We're going to welcome up Joey for our joke. Ayo, it's uh, Joey here, um, your jo- honorary joke teller. Grateful to be here. Hello, hello. Um, all right, so here we go. Conference approved literature. Um, it's a doozy, if you will. Um, all right. A man sat in front of his home contemplating his future. He had just gotten a divorce, lost his children, been fired from his job, and now faced eviction. He noticed a case of beer bottles in his trash and walked up to it. He took out an empty bottle and smashed it, swearing, You are why I don't have a wife. He threw a second bottle. You are why I don't have my children. He threw a third bottle. You are why I lost my job. But then he discovered a fourth bottle, still sealed and full of beer. He took it, tucked it in his pocket, and said, Stand aside, my friend. You were not involved. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Joey. Um, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is James. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise or distract others. Please take this time to get connected to God and let the craziness of the day drift away, and let God help you stay focused on the step study tonight. If everyone's ready, we're going to start the meditation.
right, we're going to say the fog light prayer. If you're not sure what that is, it's listed on both of the screens. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find their love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Brian to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Please welcome up, Brian. Brian, alcoholic, this is spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden and revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could have hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Please um, refrain from disturbing others by constantly getting up and sitting back down. We're a tech three meeting, so either turn your phone off or put it on silent. Uh, we have Bobby back again. She's here for her third session. 
Um, I really enjoyed having her here every time she comes. I'm excited to see what she talks about tonight. So please welcome up Bobby. Hello, hello. I came back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm dying this week. I'm, I'm speaking four times this week. So, um, you know, you just got to show up, man. God does the rest. You suit up and show up and he'll handle it. You know, sometimes my husband will say, and it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. He kind of thinks it's funny now, but he'll say, you're going to speak again. And, and I'll say, yeah. And he'll say, why? I'm like, what do you mean why? You have to. Like, you just have to. And, you know, there is a fine line with having healthy boundaries and all of that. But the one thing I typically don't say no to is Alcoholics Anonymous. I, um, I have done a lot of movement in my boundary lifestyle, and that's just the one thing that I know for sure. When I keep showing up here, I continue to be rewarded by the capital G-O-D, which we're going to talk about today. The, the blessings continue to flow. I think if I were to hang on to those blessings, I'd probably implode. So I need to continue to release them because if I want to keep what I have, I must give it away. And the really cool, awesome thing is that God has given every single individual person here a unique gift, talent, and blessing that you are to be set forth to receive and give away. It is a constant flow of energy that the God himself has given us. And for whatever reason, he has chosen me to lead in, in speaking engagements inside and outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is super duper awesome. And the funny thing is, is I didn't know I had this gift until legit I came into AA. And now when I look back at it, I was one of those girls that was at the bar controlling the whole scene. I was at the other kind of bar, you know, that's in a neighborhood with hardly any roof on it. And I was controlling the whole scene. Like anywhere I went, I would always be up talking, telling stories, and everybody would be engaged with my stories. I didn't know that that was actually a gift that God had given me that I was going to utilize in my future to help other people. So my whole point of that story is, yeah, I'm going to do if Alcoholics Anonymous asks me to do. Okay, and that's why I'm here tonight. Um, I, I was asking my husband on the way here, what, what did we talk about last week? He's like, I'm not sure. I said, I want to, because you know when you talk, when you speak a lot, and you got a few different series going on and a book study going on, you wonder, where was I? Luckily, we're all in alignment with around the same thing. We were on the There's a Solution last night at a meeting that I um, lead. And even though we were on step two last week, step two, they're just discussing the solution, which is capital G-O-D. So, you know, there are no coincidences uh, last night, I was talking to the group about that inner turmoil that we receive as a result of the absence of God. I think I may have actually mentioned that to you guys last week as well. Maybe I'm getting my days mixed up, but um, I had that, you know? I had that to the core. 
And I used to always think that it was just this pit of the feeling in my stomach that told me something bad was going to happen today. And you know, the lifestyle that we live, 99.9% .9 chance you are going to have something bad happen to you that day. Whether it's real or fancied, it's going to happen because we're living in this world of I'm a victim of everything that happens to me. You know, I used to call myself bad luck Bobby. Legit, I was bad luck Bobby. I had more nails in my tire than any human being has had in a span of their entire life. Isn't that weird? Since I've been sober, I've only had a few. But when I was not sober, I would have a nail in my tire all the time. The weirdest thing. Bad luck Bobby, man. And you know, there's things that are going to happen in my life today, and I just don't look at it anymore as luck. At some point in my journey of reco in recovery, I realized that there was nothing going on that was coincidence. There was nothing going on that was related to good luck or bad luck. Life was just life. It was about what kind of eyeballs I was looking at life with. And before I got here, and we used to say it often in early recovery, is that I needed a new pair of glasses. Because the way I saw the world, the way I perceived things, the way I responded and reacted wasn't very conducive to progress in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't until I came in here and I just followed a few tiny little simple rules because Lord knows I didn't do it perfect. And what I mean by like a few simple rules was I got up, went to a meeting, I didn't pick up no matter what, I thanked God at the end of the day, woke up, asked God to keep me sober, went to a meeting, you know, didn't pick up no matter what, thank God at the end of the day, met with my sponsor once a week, read a chapter a week maybe, maybe she did, threw me a couple of little assignments which aren't necessarily necessary, and um, I just kept coming back no matter what. Like, that's all I did. God was doing for me what I could not do for myself. He was pulling me up out of bed every day. I was on autopilot. I literally just did the things that were needed in early recovery. And things began to come to me with little or no effort at all. Although at the time, I didn't really look at it like that. At the time, I was just looking at it like, it's time to get up. Time to go to work. There's a meeting. Get home. You got a curfew. Say your prayers because your sponsor told you to. Slept. Get up. Go to work. You know, I just, these were things that became autopilot for me. And the longer that those things happened, the more I developed what was called a repetition of my lifestyle, which acquired new habits. You know, the funny thing is, is when we reach for something to fill a comfort or a void, and we get an immediate, aha, it feels good, we're going to continue to do that because our brain remembers that that one thing that you did when you reached out gave you a temporary solution. So do it again and do it again, and do it again. And the next thing you know, you've developed some type of a habit, if sometimes if it's a chemical of some sort, a dependence, and eventually an addiction, it doesn't necessarily need to be alcohol or drugs. But the same thing can happen in the opposite effect. When you're on autopilot doing the same thing over and over and over again, and every time you think about picking up a drink or a drug and instead picking up a phone, or turning on a good song that lifts your spirit, or writing it down in your journal, or hitting a meeting, whatever the case may be, you start to develop new habits. And you start to feel good about those new habits. Now you're recreating the way that you think and the way that you respond to this world. You're actually changing the chemistry in your own brain. And so coming back is powerful. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.
They don't even know how powerful that was when they said it. Or maybe they did. But it happened for me. And what's really cool is that because I wasn't reaching out and putting those things into my body that made me feel, aha, this is good, I was no longer being blindfolded by what was right in front of me. Because I believe this program is an all-abstinent-based program. And the reason for that is, is because we have blessings upon blessings upon blessings. God will speak directly to you if your head is clear. Not necessarily of substance, but that is what I'm referring to at this very moment. Complete abstinence means substance-free of all forms of alcohol. Even if you're abusing your psych meds, that is the same thing as substance. And then what happens is, is that you can now see things much clearer. There's other things that will, will block you off from the sunlight of the spirit as well, or you cannot see. Relationships. I was talking about it in a meeting last night. I'm not here to testify that I was not in a relationship for the first year of my recovery because I'd be lying to you. But like I said it last night, and I'm going to say it again tonight, some people are just not cut out to be in a relationship especially in early recovery because it blocks them off from the sunlight of the spirit and for us a drink is to that's it die i don't want to die i don't know about you but there's no relationship in this world worth me being six feet under sometimes people come into recovery and they think money and prosperity and attention and all of these other things are where it's at because what happens when we get those things immediate feel good so I'm going to do it over and over and over again. And now, now it's causing me pain and suffering, but I'm in this little bubble of comfort. And I don't even realize that it's my comfort zone. I'm miserable. I'm in agony. Impending doom sets upon me when I open my eyes in the morning. And I'm not even drinking and drugging. But I don't even realize it's because I'm in my comfort zone because I'm afraid to step out. I don't trust the process outside of my comfort zone because it is the unknown. And I have to rely on something more powerful than me to lead my life. And the crazy thing is, is that if you just do the basic necessities Alcoholics Anonymous teaches you, the basic necessities, chances are you're going to just a tad bit each and every day believe that he can and he will. My foot's literally going out as I'm saying that. Because, wow. You know how long I stayed out of Alcoholics Anonymous because I was afraid to get what you had? I was afraid to live substance-free because I didn't think I was capable of doing it. So I sat in pain and agony and torture, and I lost my kids six times until finally my rights were removed as a mom. Until I finally got out of that comfort zone and went into this area over here, and it was so much better. And I couldn't even believe my eyes. I couldn't even believe that I would live in so much fear of the unknown that I would stay in this torture of a bubble that I now look back at was my comfort zone. Because I really had no self-worth, no self-confidence. I had nothing good in me that made me love myself, so why not sit in the torture and agony? And that can go on and on into your journey of recovery. You do not need to be drinking and drugging to be experienced what I'm talking about. Doing the basic necessities of Alcoholics Anonymous and keep coming back does something for us. 
it happens that God begins to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And the really crazy thing is, is that you're on a grace period, like literally a grace period. You know, God gives us gifts that we did nothing specifically to deserve other than the fact that he loves you because you are his children. So you're here by grace. What are you going to do with the gift that was given to you that you did not deserve? Are you going to sit around and whine and complain and throw an adult-sized temper tantrum every single day because God gave you life? Are you going to literally take all of the blessings and ball them up and throw them in the trash can and complain all day? Are you going to make your job or your girl or your man or your kids or whatever a priority over God? Because I was taught that don't let what AA gave you take you back out. I don't know if you guys can relate to this or not, but I wouldn't have custody of my son if it wasn't for AA. I wouldn't have the two cars in the house and the husband if it wasn't for AA. I wouldn't have the six-figure job and the friends that love me that call me family if it wasn't for AA. When I say AA, what I'm referring to is my relationship with God. So for me to put any of those things before my relationship with God, trust and believe at some point it is going to be gone or I am going to be gone. It's just been a clear fact from the evidence of my past. It's also been a very clear fact of my evidence on this journey of recovery Yet God has still been so good to me. When I go through things, I always say, God, please, can we learn this one? As gently and calmly as possible, please. I'm almost positive I'm in the wrong, but I just know that you're going to come with your love and grace and give me a memo in my email rather than any pain and suffering. My, My Lord, please. Because I have done some tremendous things to myself. And unfortunately, a girl like me has had to have a lot of pain in order to become interested in doing it in God's way. I believe that life is a process, a successful life, I might add, is a process of trial and error. But here's the thing about trial and error. If you're an alcoholic and you're living life through trial and error, you best be putting your recovery at your number one priority. Otherwise, trial and error will kill you. There's people out there doing trial and error. They don't suffer from alcoholism, so their consequences are not grave, if you know what I mean. But for us, it is grave. And so what I mean by that is that I've done things many, many times my way until I had surrendered it all. 
and let God do it his. And what's really phenomenal and amazing about God is that no matter how many times I have done it my way, he's always ready and willing to show me a laid out path to do it his way once again, again and again and again. And usually it's a result of continual pain and suffering. Oh, that's right, forgot. (laughs) And what ends up happening is that I internally let something go Not even with recognition, mind you, because if I did it with recognition, I think I'm still in my will. It usually goes a little bit like, I want to force this situation, force it, force it, force it. I have some spiritual seeds planted, and as a result of that, I just find myself no longer forcing it. Then I completely forgotten about it. And as soon as I do... He does it for me. And then I'm like, well, I'll be damned. God showed up again. But it wasn't until I fully surrendered. And it's, I wish I could figure out how to wake up and say, today is the day I'm surrendering it all. So what I do is I go back to what I was sharing with you. The basic necessities of Alcoholics Anonymous. Don't pick up no matter what. Go to a meeting, trust God, help others, clean house, your basic necessities. All of those things are going to make you forget about the stuff that's driving you crazy, and boom, God's going to continue to show up. But if you add aggravation to your life, it's going to prolong the pain and suffering. You become completely blindfolded to what is right in front of you once again. Consequences upon consequences upon consequences arrive. You can call the consequences alcoholism. You could call the consequences the devil himself. But I would just like to call the consequences by their true name. And for me, I will identify it as Bobby. Bobby sets forth ready to make decisions based on her wonderful self-knowledge for the day. I create problems often by setting the ball rolling. People and situations retaliate. Consequences become a domino effect in my life. Insecurity arises. Uncomfortability expands. Next thing you know, I'm full of anxiety, I'm paranoid, and I'm pointing my finger once again. Nobody did that but me. It's not about what happens to you in this world. It is about what are you going to do with what happens to you. Because guess what? Sobriety never promised you a flawless life. God himself never once documented in anywhere known to man that your life is going to be flawless in every way, shape, or form. So it's not about what happens to you. It is about how you are going to respond and react to what happens to you. I learned in another fellowship years ago that anytime I have a problem, whether it is with somebody or something, 
the problem is always going to be me. And I know that is a hard pill to swallow. Some of us are genetically dispositioned to blame others. I don't know if you know that or not, but believe it or not, behaviors are genetic. But then we also have learned behaviors. You may have been raised in a home where your mother, your father, whoever raised you was most likely negative and blamed other people for their problems. And now you've developed a little bit of some learned behavior, trauma, mental health, a lot of outside of issues of Alcoholics Anonymous that we won't get too deep into can contribute of these things. But guess what? We're here to love you and to do what I like to call reparenting. I know that sounds so crazy, but dead serious. When I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was literally reparented by the members of Alcoholics Anonymous. My mom did the best that she could with what she had, and she did a hell of a job for who she was. But she didn't know a lot of things that were going to be conducive to my life when I'm an adult as a productive member of society. I needed to learn from people in AA who had come before me. You guys are the reason why I was introduced to God. You guys are the reason that I knew how to pay my taxes on time, legally. You guys were the reason why not only did I register my car, but I got insurance on my car and kept it going every month. You guys were the reason for me learning how to love my children and showing up for them in all areas of their life. You guys reparented me on so many levels, I cannot even begin to thank you enough. So my point is, there is nothing that you have been through that the power of God cannot save you from. I promise you, if he could transform a girl like me, he can literally do that for anybody. So... I want to talk a little bit about step three, because I think that's where I'm at, right? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I talked about it. But it says that, um, first it says that we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity, right? It's all, it's all together, right? And that we gave our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. There was a time in my life when I did not know God exists. I didn't know it was the biggest blessing that I could have ever asked for in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know that it was a blessing, but I do know now. I'm so grateful for exactly the way my life played out, for exactly the things that I had been through, and exactly the way that I entered Alcoholics Anonymous. Not a day late, not a dollar short. And I um, came in here with a very clear mind on what God was all about. You guys spoke about God so elegantly. You guys spoke about him as though you've known him your whole life. And you guys probably, a lot of you guys were just quoting things out of the big book, but I was impressed. You guys sounded so smart. And I remember thinking that this program would not work for me. 
because you were too smart. You guys understood the language in that book. You guys talked about a God I had never been introduced to. I really thought that this was going to be too challenging for me. I'm so grateful for the people who would say things like, keep coming back, so it works if you work it. Because I did that, something kept bringing me back. It might have been the cute people in the room and the cigarettes at the picnic table, but I kept coming back. There was a time in my journey in early recovery where things did not make sense. But as a result of keep coming back, I kept hearing the same things over and over and over and over. I was developing a routine of repetition to help my brain start to recreate a new way of life. That is a necessity for a new lifestyle change. Anything that you do that's a lifestyle change needs to be repeated over and over and over again. And you should be doing it in a community so that you can be hearing it from different people's voices, from different personalities, because what this one may say, I won't understand until this one says it. Or he might say it in 2000, and I won't understand it until she says it in 2007. It's important for those things, and that started to happen to me. I would come in and hear the same thing over and over and over again. And sometimes, and it started happening more often than not, I would be in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and somebody would say something and I would just be like, whoa. A light would turn on in my head and I would feel like for the first time in my life, I understand what they're talking about. It's making sense. I remember a guy a long many years ago when I was new He said his head was like a dark closet, a large closet, and it was like a maze. And every now, every so often, he'd go to a meeting, and there would be somebody that would say something that would turn a light on in one of the hallways of that closet. And every time he kept coming back, he would hear it, and that he was starting to feel as though he can see for the first time in his life. He was not in a dark closet all alone trying to figure out how to get through life. And I was like, my God, that is what is happening to me. I'm starting to hear things. And I'm reading the book with my sponsor. I'm going to AWOL. I'm doing a big book study. I'm reading the book on my own during doing homework assignments. I'm reading these things over and over again. And things started to make sense. When my sponsor told me to get on my knees and ask God to stay sober, I did it despite the fact that I was absolutely humiliated of being seen praying in a halfway house. There was 10 women there, and if one of those saw me, I would have been so embarrassed. And now looking back, I have no idea what I was embarrassed about. But I did it anyways. And I was caught, by the way by my roommate who awkwardly walked in on me on my knees praying next to my bed and we were both very uncomfortable and I said she said sorry I'm like no big deal just praying on my knees because that's what you're doing in AA I do it all the time because that's what my sponsor told me I'm supposed to do and she's like yeah me too man I pray all the time 
And I'm like, well, me too. We must have been just missing each other. <laughs> and so we were standing there awkwardly. She was there in her towel, by the way, on top of it all. And I said, well, why don't you get dressed and uh, we'll pray together? And she says, that's a good idea. So she went and got her clothes on and she uh, kneeled down right next to me at my bedside. And we opened up our book and we said the third step prayer together. And that was the, the prayer I was studying at that time. And that turned into a daily event. We prayed every night and we prayed every morning on our knees together. The other girls witnessed us as well. Of course, we were super cool at this point. And we were like working a program, you know. And um, everybody else in the house wanted to join in. And eventually all girls at the halfway house would pray with us on their knees in the morning and at night. And I lived on Ninth Court in Pompano back then. There's a lot of halfway houses there. But back then, the whole Ninth Court belonged to Maureen Donatio, Next Step Sober House. And uh, the girls from all the houses used to come to my house. And we would pray together. And then we would go out and, and drink our coffee at the patio. And we'd read page 86, 87, and 88 together. And we would find ourselves there at night before bed together and pray again. And that went on for several months. And I ended up coming back to that halfway house for almost another year after I left halfway. And I would read 86 and 87 and 88 with the new girls in that house. And it became a ritual. And the funniest thing is that something that was the most humiliating act for me became my biggest strength. I had no idea that faith in God was going to become my biggest strength I have above all strengths. Isn't that amazing? That I can live my whole life not knowing that. Again, it was my biggest blessing. I had nothing to deter me from opening up my heart and believing that God exists. You guys were talking about him. I fell into the crowd. I followed. I was a follower. And I followed to the best path that changed my life forever. So, you know, trial and error became my lifestyle. I didn't understand what did it mean to turn my will and life over to the care of anything if I was the one who was supposed to do the footwork. Like, what does that mean? I'm going to turn over my job and my, my case with my kids and my potential opportunity to get a, a, a driver's license. I have to turn that over to God. That sounds so silly. How am I supposed to do anything if he's got it? A girl just doesn't know what a girl doesn't know until she's ready to know. Then and when she's ready to know, the message will be received. It will change her life forever. And more importantly, once she knows, she could no longer plead ignorant again. That was my story. I started to understand. Here's some simple directions to turn your will and life over to the care of God as you understand him. You put one foot in front of the other. You do what is right in front of you to do. You trust that God's got a bigger plan for you and he's much better equipped and you leave the results up to him. When that worry and that fear and that idea to control the situation returns, you treat it just like you do alcohol. 
God, remove this thought. I've already given it to you. Take me to a better place. Amen. And you could do this every day until it becomes a habit. Eventually, you will start loving that God has control over your life. You will be a lot less, you will be a lot more rested and at peace when you know God has it under control. A lot of really cool things started to happen to me after this process. I had an amazing spiritual experience. I had an experience that was a life changer. I wish everybody could have an experience like I did. It was an overwhelming, powerful, life-changing experience. I won't go into the details because I just told it last night, and there's a lot of people here who heard it. Um, But it was an amazing experience. And really cool things started to happen to me. For example, I lost my job. And when I lost my job, I came right home. I started to complete a brand-new resume, and I started job searching. Not one time did I feel discouraged. Not one time did I feel sad, mad. I just knew everything was going to be okay. And then another time in my early recovery, I'd just gotten my car back on the road, got a job, got my kid back. Life is good. I was heading over to Lester's Diner with me and my son, and we were going to have some pancakes together, and my engine literally blew up. Boom! Right on Coconut Creek Parkway heading to Lester's. I pulled over, got my son out of the car, took his hand. We walked across the street into a safe spot, took a seat, pulled out my phone, and called a mechanic friend. I said, my car just blew up. He said, oh, that's really bad. I said, sure is. (laughs) He says, I'll send over a tow truck. I said, please do. That was before Uber and everything, you know. So the tow truck got there. I said, is there any way you might be able to drop me off at home? And he dropped me off at home. And I got out of my car and got home and put on a cartoon for my son and sat down and just knew everything was going to be okay. Things like this started to happen to me often. And somebody said to me, are you sure you're okay? I don't think you're feeling feelings. I think you might be suppressing them. I said, well, I could be. I've been known to do stuff like that. And my sponsor at the time was one of those people. And she's like, I think you might be suppressing your feelings. And she walked out after thinking about it a few more minutes. She goes, you know what? I know what's going on. You're handling situations which used to baffle you. (laughs) I said, yeah, I think that's what's happening. Because I really don't think I'm suppressing them. I just just don't know. I just know that they're going to be okay. Now, moving forward, almost 15 years later, I've had a bazillion things happen in life. People die that you love, that you love so much. They're going to die. You're going to have breakups that are going to be tragic. You're going to have friend groups that are going to separate and go their own ways. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to be talked about and judged you're going to have life show up. You can get really mad. You're totally allowed to do that. You can even, if it makes you feel comfortable, curse. (laughs) You know, just do it. My husband called me the other day after he was T-boned, and I think I told you guys that his car was T-boned, and, you know, he was really upset. I was upset, too. I was Unfortunately, in the middle of getting my hair done on a salon chair, with, I had foils all over my head, and I couldn't come save him. I knew he didn't need me anyways, but 
I just, not one single solitary heavy burden came upon me. Yeah, I was pissed. I was like, S-O-B. That's a freaking nice truck, man. I really love that truck. That sucks, but it's gonna be okay. Five days later, I'm not even joking, five days later, he goes up to Walgreens to get me the devil, AKA skinny girl popcorn. (laughs) And he calls me and he says, you're not gonna believe this. I said, what? I can't believe it, babe. I said, what? I just backed into a woman at Walgreens parking lot. Mind you, with the car that's been T-boned. I'm like, get the beep out of here. No, I'm not joking. And she's a real beep. I'm like, no, man, she's a beep. Yeah, he's a beep. (laughs) I was like, is she going to call a cop? She already called the cops. I said, son of a beep. And we went on about it for about 30 seconds. And I hung up the phone and I was folding clothes. And I was like, mother beep, 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 beep. I'm so mad. (laughs) I'm so freaking mad. I slightly got mad at my husband. And then I called him back and I was like, babe, you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm like, go over there and tell her we got a guy. And he's got a paint company. He'll do the whole thing. We'll pay for cash right now. Go tell her. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I was like, yep, hung up. And I'm already like, my husband's super cool. Like, he's super cool. Everybody likes him. No matter what he does, you're going to laugh at him. You're going to love him and feel bad for him in a situation like this. So he calls me back. He goes, that didn't work. (laughs) I said, no. He goes, yeah. And he starts laughing. I said, what's so funny? He goes, you know she was here to to get the same freaking popcorn as us? (laughs) I said, get the hell out of here. He's like, yeah. Oh, the cop's here. I'm going to call you back. Already, I hung up the phone and I was already back at peace. I'm just folding my clothes and I know, I just know it's going to be okay. Even if we have to pay the damages, even if she sues us, even whatever, right? He calls me back. He goes, well, that was easy. Cop hated that lady. (laughs) I said, oh yeah. And he tells me the whole story. The cop hated her. She had a little dog, left the dog in the car with the windows up when she went to go get the popcorn. The cop even told her, you're lucky he didn't smash your windows out to get your dog. Because she was not a nice lady, and the cop did not like that. So let my husband go without a ticket or anything. And um, he came home, and we laughed about how crazy it is. Because I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but you know the saying, when it rains, it pours? I don't know who made that saying, but they were on point with something. Because when things happen in our life, I'm speaking upon me and my husband right now. You guys can relate to this. And if you can't, embrace yourself. Because you could be very much like me and my husband. But when something bad happens, it tends to continue to go on that way for a few months. All right? People call that a test of your faith. People call that... The, uh, the devil himself. They call it a spiritual warfare. They call it whatever they want to call it. You know what I think it is? It's the, the refining process that God is putting us through to make us better. 
It is the process that God is going to walk hand in hand with you to make you stronger. It is the process of life that you are going to experience to give you more meaning, more purpose, a bond with your spouse, a bond with your kids, more respect, more personality, more character. I don't care what way you look at it. It's always going to be in the eyes of God for the good because he's never one single solitary time left our side. And we've always gotten something so beautiful out of it. So even though I can get mad and even though I can get sad, And even though I can get on my pity pot, the point is, get it done. Clean up your butt and flush it and move on because God is so good. Thank you, guys. I'm going to take all my waters. And I didn't drink. Oh, my God. I almost ripped the whole thing out. I'll just do it. No problem. <laughs> Let's give it up for Bobby one more time. Oh, that was nice. Uh, we're going to welcome up Mark for the secretary's report. Hey, everyone. My name's Mark. I'm a recovered alcoholic secretary. Keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that Every group will be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The baskets are now going around. And if you guys look on your tables, there's flyers there with QR codes. If you want to put Chris and Michael's service commitment to shame, feel free to scan that code and make a donation that way. Uh, while that's going on, I've asked uh, Matthew to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hi, my name is Matthew. I'm an alcoholic. Um, Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured? That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thanks, Matt. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA, 50% of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% of them sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should a sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Okay. Uh, more important, does anyone need a sponsor? No one, huh? All right. Well, if you do, see one of the folks with their hands raised. Let's get these folks back to God. A couple quick announcements. Broward County Intergroup for the 
folks that don't know, that's where you go for medallions, big books, other A literature. Feel free to visit their website. Ten AM to two PM on Saturday, so for those of you that work during the week. BCIC, Broward County Institutions Committee. Uh, this committee brings in meetings to outside sources that can't get out to meetings on the regular. Is anyone on that committee that wants to tell us more about it? No. All right. Well, it's at the 12-step house. <laughs> uh, there's plenty of volunteer opportunities to go around. Volunteers Day picnic. Uh, 2022 Florida State Convention's right here in Fort Lauderdale Beach. Still needs volunteers. That's coming up, right? Um, what do we got? Founders Day picnic 2022. Snyder Park is June 5th. A couple months for that. And this, this one's big. We got the Big Book Seminar going on at, in Boca Raton. It's Joe and Charlie style. That's a four-day event. May 5th through May 8th. There's more. There's some flyers on the tables for that, too, if you guys want to grab that. And then um, that's us. We meet here again on Monday, third floor of this building. We do, it again, a Joe, Joe and Charlie Big Book Seminar where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowships at 6.30. Study starts at 7.15. Also, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back there. See any home group member if you want to buy any of that stuff. We meet here every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. Bobby will be back next week for four set, fourth? Fourth. So um, we'll be ready to see you at the sound of the bell. See you next week. Back on, please. Thanks. Uh, we have a we, <laughs> we have an anniversary tonight. Uh, we, we have Alex coming up here. He's going to present our, our chairperson, James, with five years. So here's Alex. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Alex. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Alex. So I have the pleasure of presenting James with his five-year medallion tonight. Um, James is one, one of the first friends I made when I moved to Fort Lauderdale. Um, I don't, you know, I, I honestly didn't think I was going to like James when I first met him. <laughs> but, I mean, realistically, that's how most of my best uh, friendships go, you know? Um, through the years, I've, I've seen James grow into an amazing human being. Um, what I can say about James is he walks the walk in a way I see few people do. Um, I roomed with him after some time. I moved into the halfway house that uh, he was staying in, and, and James, honest to God, helped mold me into an all-around better person. Um, I would sit there and I'd watch him do his nightlies every night and wake up extra early to, you know, do prayer and meditation. And she's just always there when, you know, you need somebody. I mean, I would fall off. Uh, 
and James would be right there, you know, open arms. I mean, just whatever he could do, he's he's always been there for me. So, I love you, man. Thanks, man. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm still a recovered alcoholic named James. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to pick up a medallion this year and uh, show the newcomers that you can stay sober for long periods of time. I've been as unable to do it the last two years with the pandemic, and it just feels super special this year. I um, owe the life that I have today and the sobriety that I have today to God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not see myself living past the age of 23, and I did not want to be here any longer. And um, God really gave me everything that I needed and things that I didn't even know I wanted. And, and my life is abundant and beautiful, and I get to give it back to other people. And I'm just so grateful uh, to have five years. Um, so thank you. Um, So we have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Again, we'd like to invite you to the Monday night meeting. And those who'd like to thank Bobby can line up down the center area here. And we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. You can stay seated for that. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. See you next week, everyone.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Divide. 
song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Thank you very much, Minneapolis. Have a very good night.